0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. We have returned your co-hosts, Joe Hagan and Emily Jane Fox. Hello, Emily.
1: Hello, we're back again.
0: And a lot has happened this week. A lot's about to happen next week. You know, late last year, we kept promising we were going to stop talking about Trump. We kind of have. And we did for a while. We did really, we did so good for a while there. But you know what? The truth is, I've I've had a change of, of thinking about this. Ooh. I'm realizing that we're not thinking about Trump in the same way. We're not thinking about it as if we're beholden to his horror show. We are now doing the good, hard work trying to, A, achieve some kind of justice, uh, but also metabolize and deal with the fallout of what he did and what he meant. And... Interestingly enough, it's all in the court of the Republicans now. They are now suffering the slings and arrows of their own calculations that they made by following Trump to begin with.
1: Well, that's what your your interview today is all about. I want, I want to hear all about it. But before we get there, you know, I really feel like my day to day is so much less ruled and governed by former President Trump. I, I just I honestly I don't think about him every day which is such a change because I feel like I only used to think about him. And there are some days where I just feel like that era is totally over. And what happened was like, it was just a different time. And he is completely irrelevant. And because I have that mental shift and because it feels so good, A few times this week, I have said to myself, I almost wish impeachment was not happening because he's going to be back in the daily discourse in a way that I have grown so accustomed to him not being now. And even though it's only been two weeks, I I feel like I don't want to return to that state of being and state of mind. I know intellectually and morally it is the right thing to do. There have to be consequences for what he fomented and what he was a leader of. That's just democracy and if we don't stand up for that I don't know what we stand for. But I also think the fact that he has been so quiet has given us a false sense that he is so behind us because it's a strategy. It's not he's not been quiet because he is irrelevant and that trumpism is now completely gone because he's no longer in office. He's been quiet because he doesn't want to rile up any kind of Republican sentiment like what we had on January 7th or 8th, where it really looked like if the Senate were to impeach him, you know, he would actually get impeached, that the the Republican senators and Congress people had a real momentum and real incentive to do something about it. It was so fresh. It was so raw. It was so clear what the president had done. And now with some time and some distance, as Mitch McConnell designed it, it looks as though the Senate Republicans will not have spines, will not stand up for democracy and will not vote to convict him. And so... I think the president, for the first time in the last five years, has exercised real self control because he know what knows what's on the line for him. If he does not, he has not appeared on Fox News. He has not appeared on OAN. He has obviously he doesn't have have Twitter, but he has other means if he wanted to 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 talk to people and say things that are unhinged or against his better interests. But he has been very disciplined in not doing that. So I think, as much as I've been dreading having him back in our, our conversation because of impeachment next week. I also just want to keep our eyes open that once impeachment concludes, however, whichever way it goes, Trump will be unleashed again. That the strategy will well, be over.
0: Yeah. And, and that's will- true. And the reason he's being quiet is he knows that if he, he doesn't want to add fuel exactly, and give these senators a reason to impeach him and to end his political future.
1: So I I worry about March. And I know that you get into this in your interview, and I want to hear what you said. But I know a lot of people are banking on the fact that either there will be a Republican civil war or Trumpism will just be done and dusted, and this will be the last we hear of it. But I strongly feel in my gut The Republican civil war lasted about six days and it is the party of Donald Trump. And maybe, maybe that helps Democrats
0: win. I think it does. I was about to say that, you know, this guy that I'm having on today, Representative Adam Kinzinger uh, of Illinois, you know, he's hoping that they can overcome Trump so that they can be a party that is functional, that they can actually be a functional opposition to the Democrats. In truth, if they're warring uh, with the Trumpers uh, for the next two years, they're just going to split their party in half and give the you know hand the keys to the Democrats, which is actually what McConnell—the reason he's so betwixt and between right now and trying to thread the needle—is he knows exactly this: that uh, if they can't you know contain or put back in the box this you know maniacal you know insurrectionist wing that you know, Democrats are going to win. And now the guy that we're going to be speaking with today, he's maybe just um, politically, it's in his interest to say he's optimistic about this, but he seems to be optimistic that they will overcome this Trump thing, that in fact, the bloom will be off the rose of Trump as the base begins to recede from its passions. Like there'll be some, you know, there was a quote which I'd mentioned to him in this interview from an ally of Liz Cheney's who had believed in the election fraud and that when she came out of it, she said she felt like she was coming out of a fog. And I don't know to the degree to which how many of these people are going to come out of their fog, right? But the truth is, is that if Trump comes back out and they circle the wagons, the Jim Jordans, the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, they can keep these people on the reservation by continuing to feed them that chum again. And that's when we'll find out. When they come back and try to reanimate all those Trump passions, whether that base keeps responding again, if they stay put.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they have to be, if you are radicalized, you have to continue to be radicalized. And we've had this like tiny period of time where that's quieted down. I'm personally not optimistic that the radicalization just just completely stops after you know probably right. a decade going in one direction that someone le- that one person leaves office and suddenly it's done that seems irrational to me and it seems right. like something that's born out of like the people who don't believe that who have not been rationalized like just desperate for for that to be the case so i think the the only solution is to keep your eyes open to watch for that radicalization and to counter it with with fact. And and I think people are going to have to start answering for the radicalization, which I think is different. Uh, Under Trump, they were given cover and they were in power. And now the people who are living in a different dangerous reality are answering for it. And what I think we're gonna start to see is is with that vote on so-called MTG, Mm Marjorie Taylor Greene, I heard this said before and I, I truly, truly believe it. The left should do to MTG what the right did to AOC. The the right has made AOC the face of the Democratic Party. When she had no fa- no business being the face of the Democratic Party, she didn't ask for that. She doesn't hold enough power for that. She doesn't have an, like she's not actually the face of the Democratic Party. It's a branding thing, right? Fox did it so well. No one is a better brand engine than Fox news and, and frankly, president Trump. And so they made an election issue or two election issues basically out of AOC and the so-called squad, right? They said, if you vote for any Democrat, Joe Biden, you're voting for AOC who, you know, frankly, she's one single Congresswoman, a freshman Congresswoman from New York uh, she doesn't hold or wield that much power, but they made it seem like she was the most powerful person in the world and she was going to turn our country into raving socialists and it was going to be dangerous for everybody and the jobs would go away and all this all this scary stuff and it worked. Why don't we make Republicans into the party of MTG the same way that well, they I did Well, I think that. that's
0: happening. I mean, that's happening this week. It, the, the, you know... The sad thing is that the media is already hand wringing about are we paying too much attention to her? Pay
1: pay no, every bit pay of pay attention. attention to her. Only yeah. pay attention to her. Don't talk about anything else. Make yeah, them answer for that's what they're her. about.
0: That's that's what they're about. That's what the coup was about. It was about people like her in various iterations of her even if they're not straight QAnon believers who used misinformation as their campaign power as their poli- you know that's what they politicked on. They they threw aside Actual principles and core ideas and just ideas all together for, you know, paranoid, angry misinformation. That's what the party is about. That's who they are. Right. And if they don't strip her of her committee assignments, if they don't um, censure the Ted Cruises and Josh Hollies who fomented this things, then they got to live with it. They have to live with them being the face of the party.
1: I honestly, for – democratic moral reasons I want her out for political reasons I hope they fucking keep her because then they will have to if Democrats have a smart brain cell in their head Democrat the figurative person they will for the next two years until the midterm election for the next four years into the presidential election they will talk about nothing else they can do all the things that we want them to do and legislatively focus on all the things. The only thing that they should talk about in interviews is MTG. Make the Republicans the party that stands for what she has fomented and what she stands for. And I do think that that's a winning political strategy.
0: I agree. And the guy we're about to hear from is hoping that uh, she will be marginalized or go away so that sort of, uh, quote unquote, more reasonable forces in the party can... Take over. Um, I'm skeptical. I'm sure that a lot of other people are going to be skeptical, even hearing him today.
1: But I'm 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 willing to hear him out, and maybe I'll be convinced. I haven't gotten to listen to the interview yet. You just did it, well, so so maybe you know, next week I come back and I'm singing a different tune and I'm completely won over.
0: Well, we're gonna let's you, dear listener, can make your own determinations, and uh, we'll come back next week and see where we are. We'll be in the middle of an impeachment trial in the Senate. Fun. It's kind of fun. I'm going to put that in air quotes because I'm not sure how much fun it's going to be, but it's going to be damned fascinating.
1: Either way, we'll be here to talk through it all and we'll be more informed having listened to this next interview. So let's get to it.
0: This is Inside the Hive. Congressman Adam Kissinger, welcome to Inside the Hive. Uh, We are in a momentous week. Uh, in advance of another momentous week. Next week, uh, the Senate is going to decide whether to impeach Donald Trump for the coup on January 6th. But this week is sort of a canary in the coal mine, I guess you'd call it. Tell us a little bit about what the conversation was like yesterday around the fate of Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia.
2: Yeah, look, it was an interesting conference. I think it went on about four hours or so. And which uh, is long, you know, politicians don't yeah. have a great attention span. But I think the bottom line is, uh, you know, it appeared that everybody was ready to move on from Marjorie Taylor Greene. She, you know, was somewhat contrite, but I didn't hear, you know, really an apology. But, you know, it is what it is. Right. But the big thing is, you know, Liz Cheney survived and she survived huge. And that was after. You know, a lot of the people that, frankly, you know, were out there trying to minimize what happened on January 6th said they were going to be able to depose her. Well, the reality is, it's, you know, if they're uncomfortable because of Liz Cheney, that's fine. But maybe they should actually be looking at, you know, the president for making them uncomfortable for pushing this thing in the first place. So it's going to be, you know, certainly I think it's the opening shot. It's not of a war or anything, but really of a fight for what the soul of the Republican Party is. And that may be, you know, a long process.
0: And today there's going to be a vote on whether to remove her from the committees that she's on. Can you give us a preview of how you're going to come down on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, short of, you know, her coming out and basically directly apologizing for the vote, I'll be voting for it. It is a bad precedent because I don't know if often or ever, you know, the majority party has made a decision on committees like this, you know, of a minority party. But that said, You know, faced with what's in front of me, which is, should she be on the you know education committee, given some of the you know false flag commands or uh, or implications? Then you know the reality is no, she shouldn't. So I'll I'll vote for it. I don't know how many of my colleagues join me. It'll be more than me, but I don't think it's going to be you know too big of a number because you know people are just compelled by this idea that you know it's not up to the Democrats to dictate our policy. Typically, I agree with that, except that in this case, it's it's quite a bit different.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because uh, yesterday's vote about Liz Cheney was a secret ballot. Yeah. It it allowed some anonymity. Mm-hmm. And uh, how much do you think that had to do with how the votes came out?
2: Uh, you know, I think it had some to do with it. Um, you know, there wasn't really a choice to even do a non-secret ballot. That's just the, the rules and
0: mm-hmm. you know, the nature of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it was good, though, because it sends the message that, you know, this. Kind of, I, I don't know if you call it the Donald Trump wing, it's probably not really even, you know, as much of a measure on Trump, but as much on, you know, we're, we're going to be a party that has all kinds of views and doesn't punish people for a vote of conscience. Um, you know, look, it was, I think it was a very strong message. And I do think what it shows is that, you know, had there been, a secret ballot on impeachment, for instance, which, of course, there wouldn't be. But in theory, you certainly would have gotten more than 10 of us because, you know, there was a lot of political pressure. And we'll, you know, the whole idea yeah. here is we've got to start speaking truth to power. we got to start just telling the truth and doing it in an optimistic way instead of this cowering in fear.
0: Well, there's so much, you know, courage, as as you well know, in, in politics is often directly related to the cold math yeah. of uh, of whichever district you're in and what your base is telling you um you know i think that that quote-unquote apology yesterday was its own kind of calculation for her survival for instance yeah. um and and i also want to ask you about you know kevin mccarthy's uh you know pretending he didn't know what QAnon was i mean that was pathetic frankly um you know and talk about calculated i mean you know, Kevin McCarthy and you may like him as a person, but um, putting yourself into his shoes, what is he dealing with
2: right now? Well, he's dealing with a lot of pressure. I do like him as a person. You know, the pressure is from obviously the from Donald Trump himself, from then on the other side, people like me and Liz and, and, and others. And look, But, you know, I, can, I guess I can look at it and say I appreciate the pressure, but being a leader, you know, the minority leader, is about leading and it means taking yeah in many cases taking arrows for your your people for the people that are you know with you in the in the caucus and and we all know i mean we all know he knows what qAnon is and we all know he knows how you say qAnon and uh, and so it was surprising for me you know, he said it both in the caucus meeting and then, you know, on the press conference afterwards, he mispronounced QAnon and then said he doesn't know any of it. Like, of course he does. And if he doesn't, he should, because this has been the thing that's been driving, frankly, at least the last two months of politics and in longer. And so the answer isn't to try to keep all factions of the party together for unity's sake. To some extent, that's important. But when you have something like not even being able to tell truth to power and and being honest about what happened on January 6th, that's not leading a party at all. That's actually keeping the party where I think we've been, which is we've become unmoored to our past, to what we stand for. And, you know, quite honestly, to principle.
0: Well, and the problem uh, that McCarthy faces and other Congress people is what they're dealing with at home right? Yeah. The base. I mean, the most offensive thing about him mispronouncing QAnon is he's assuming that there's a bunch of people out there who are idiots, Yeah. right? Who, who, who are going to buy that he doesn't know what it is. And I'm, I'd just be curious, you, you voted to impeach Trump. You were among that, that small group. And, uh, you know, just to let our listeners know, you're, you're representing the 16th district in Illinois. It's, it's like basically suburban Chicago, right? right. Um, And you've probably got a little more leeway than some of these other people in terms of threading the needle and being more moderate. Is that roughly accurate?
2: No, not really. I mean, it's a very strong Donald Trump district, and uh, it's mostly rural. And, you know, the reality, so I know being from Illinois, that's people's impression. This was a vote uh, that was not good for me politically, at least in the short term. I do think in the long term, people are going to wake up to it, but. Uh, there was no political decision in the vote. For me, it was entirely a vote of conscience because, you know, I'm the only one of the 700,000 people I represent that has to take an oath to the Constitution in this capacity. To me, it was a constitutional decision, an oath-keeping decision.
0: Tell me then a little bit about some of the blowback. I mean, we're talking about political math here, then the calculus of these politicians trying to kind of like keep their base on their side, the base that Trump more or less created or energized. And so now you're opposing them or you're telling them, hey, you've been kind of led astray here. What's the reaction?
2: You know, it's mixed. I mean, I've gotten a lot of people that have reached out that said thanks. You know, like we we felt, you know, that even if they were massive Donald Trump supporters, January 6th changed a lot. You know, the day after the election, with the election was stolen narrative, that changed a lot. Uh, so I've gotten a lot of out- outreach from that perspective which has actually been pretty pretty heartening and of course yeah, there's been blowback you know but like yesterday in one of my county GOPs there was a move to censure me and it was it was beat 11 to two. so they didn't censure. there's people that understand maybe they agree with me and even if they don't, you know it was a vote based on conscience and we have to be a party that accepts that. Um, so it's kind of been mixed but again I think the key is, And maybe it it says too much about our uh, kind of political state that, uh, you know, somebody leading and just trying to tell the truth is so out of the norm. But that's all I'm trying to do is just tell people the truth, because short of that, they're hearing no other narrative except the election was stolen. And, you know,
0: well, you know, I have to say that uh, I live in upstate New York and, you know, I drive around and I to this day, there's still Trump flags up. Yeah. Right. There's still people who are very much still believing that the election was stolen. Still find themselves, you know, they are still they're clinging to this thing. You know, they're holding tight to Trump, and that's something you're probably dealing with uh, in one way or another on your in your district. Um, Yeah, and
2: keep in mind mind too, part of the reason that they believe that is there's been nobody that said otherwise you know <clears throat> with it with a few exceptions but you know that's the whole part of the QAnon thing anyway is that you know all of this is planned there's going to be a a secret awakening moment and you know that led up and i think there's even some hangers on that still somehow believe that maybe joe biden is now you know part of QAnon. and i mean it's just gotten so crazy but that's when you are told that over and over again and there's not anybody out refuting it, and, and in fact, the party is to an extent almost tolerating it, desperate for votes. I mean, that's that's respectable.
0: Well, beyond tolerating, promoting it. I mean, um, in, in some cases with you know Marjorie Taylor Greene, but also just through winks and nods, Congress people like Jim Jordan have you know fanned some of this election fraud stuff, which is completely connect is connected with the QAnon. Fantasy conspiracy. I, I would just. There was an article recently in the. Uh, I think it was in the Times, or talking about what Liz Cheney's been dealing with in Wyoming, and uh, they interviewed somebody who had believed in the election fraud thing, and her. She was quoted. She, but you know, she decided after looking into it that it was not right, and and she said, "I was in some kind of fog. I don't know how else to describe it." And uh, it, that really struck me because I interviewed a guy on this podcast a few weeks ago about uh, he was a cult expert, you know, and in, in, in deep people from having been in cults, and he said, you know, he sees people who have been involved in QAnon and and the and and really Trump devotion at the deepest sort of social media levels and. Described it as, as that's what it is. You have to deprogram them. And, and I, it reminded me of something you told David Axelrod recently. He said um, it's like the whole party has been on a Friday night bender, right? And yeah. they're waking up on Saturday morning. I mean, um, don't you think that the there's a struggle politically inside the GOP, but there's a longer term struggle to carefully bring your you know voters out of that belief system?
2: Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, the key is, as you look at this, you know, on the one hand, we have to be careful not to paint, you know, every Trump supporter as, you know, something crazy, right? I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. I wasn't, you know, thrilled about the opportunity, but I did. Um, But a lot changed the day after the election. And I think the key is to say, look, you know, Support of Donald Trump in and of itself is not a, not necessarily a bad thing, but it's where we go now. And it's, it's simply repeatedly saying the truth to people. You know, they're in a fog, yes, but they're not going to be fed as much as they were, you know, with Donald Trump out of power, especially with not having a Twitter account. And, yeah, it is like – I mean, I think the best example is like Saturday morning after one of those Friday night vendors in the party now – and everybody in the party has a choice. I mean, when you're feeling bad on a Saturday morning, the easy answer, you know, is to take a Bloody Mary and just feel a little better and start up again. And maybe if it's a Saturday. You can, you know, let's say
0: <laughs> <laughs> you said you sound like you're speaking from experience, yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, <laughs>
2: you can take that Bloody Mary and just get rolling again and push off the pain. Or you can, you know, just take a look at what you did. Deal with that bear the pain a little bit, the consequences, and hope you're a stronger, better person for it. And that's what we have as a party the opportunity to do. And that's why I've been so outspoken, is not to offend anybody or make anybody mad, but to tell people the truth.
0: This is Inside the Hive. Well, you're up against a lot. You know, you've got, you know, obviously what's going on with uh, Congresswoman Green who President Trump has called a quote-unquote future Republican star. Right. When you just said that you voted for Donald Trump, I knew that. I had that here in my in my research. It, it, it kind of flummoxed me. I was thinking about, you know, a year ago you were telling people about QAnon. You were sort of early in your party to identify this as a problem and to try to come out and kind of inform people that this was a dangerous road. Yep. Um, how and why did you start to – understand what qanon was and the danger it was posing to your party
2: yeah so um and i hope we get into the the donald trump vote because i think it's, a, it's an important discussion but the yeah. first off you know it was about a year ago when i really started to put the pieces together of what qanon was and i had heard a lot of the conspiracies you know surrounding it but you know it's really when i started kind of waking up to this is really an organized and kind of singular focused thing And uh, um, but I had been taking on uh, conspiracy theories for quite a while. You know, if I look back on, I remember in 2015, I think or 2014, there was this whole thing of Jade Helm, which was where the federal government was going to overthrow the the government of Texas, and it was so ludicrous. But even the Texas governor, instead of saying this is silly, guys, he said, well, I'm going to activate the Texas State Guard, which isn't the National Guard; it's like the Civil Air Patrol for the National Guard. But you know, not not because he believed. But there was anything to be concerned about because it was easier to do that than tell people it was crazy. And, you know, I've been kind of looking through this this era where there's a ton of that. So as I started to see this QAnon stuff, I said, you know, look, we got to nip this in the bud. Some people got upset at me for even giving it attention. And I said, I think we're actually already too late. I think it's too late to even stop it. And unfortunately, I was pretty correct.
0: I just, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, everybody has had a revelation somewhere along the line that Donald Trump was unfit to be president yeah you know um really the the bright line for me was many years ago when you had the charlottesville event but but also when he stood next to putin and did not defend his own government you know so flash forward to 2020s uh and you voted for him Mm -hmm. you know bring me into the calculus there What, what what were you thinking
2: well, first off, I didn't vote for him in 2016. And then, you know, he gets sworn in puts good people around him that obviously over time he starts to shed away. I think knowing what I know today, if I had that value of foresight, I wouldn't have voted for him in 2020. Um, but at the time, it, look, it really is a thing. Uh, I had to take the calculation of, okay, policy, right? What is the policies going forward? and And this is where people that are trying to kind of I don't know if you want to call it deprogram the cult or kind of take on QAnon. Uh, This is where they make huge mistakes. And I see it all the time, like on Twitter, they'll say, well, Adam's, you know, disingenuous because he voted with Donald Trump 86% of the time. Well, all that says is that I voted with the Republican agenda 86% of the time. By the way, I'm a Republican, right? I mean, I'm a conservative Republican. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm proud of that. I think we have a great rich history. And so, yeah, I will support those policies, but I also think that part of that rich history is telling people the truth. So I don't think it is necessarily incongruent. You know, first off, I didn't endorse Donald Trump in 2020. I was not. I was the only Republican member of Congress in Illinois not on his reelection team. Um, I have stood up and said things whenever that was necessary. Uh, but when it came down to just the vote on policy, I took a vote. and. But that said, after the election, when he began to undermine the whole electoral system and I think was even a bigger threat to democracy than just saying unhinged things, um, that's when I became even more outspoken than I was.
0: Well, you know, I on some level, I sometimes think of the Trump, you know, in sympathetic moments, I think of the Trump base as uh, really victims in, to some degree of Trump's, you know, campaign to misinform them which obviously the Twitter platform gave him all that power. But what's the excuse of these other politicians who, like Green and others, who who see an opportunity? It's almost like a parlor trick, you know, to if you're a politician, you're like, well, we've gotten to the point now where we don't even really even have to tell the truth. We can come up with a, a whole new uh, set of alternative facts and campaign on those and uh, it has almost like a magic for a while there. It had a magic touch, yeah. right? A yeah. guy like uh, Jim Jordan could just, you know, he's got the he just was awarded the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom, yeah. <laughs> which is just, Lourious. I mean, um, but uh, you know, Jake Tapper was on here a couple of months ago, and he said one of the great unexplored aspects of public life is how many of these people are just possibly batshit crazy, yeah, but them, you know, themselves right we think the followers maybe they're crazy on their 4chan message boards but you deal with these people directly in the halls of congress and i'm always asking myself are they crazy or are they crazy like a fox you know that's that's what i want to know
2: yeah i think it's both i mean i think there's some that are crazy some that are crazy like a fox you know look i think marjorie taylor green after hearing her last night in the conference, speak somewhat rationally. I mean, I don't think she apologized. I didn't hear apologies, but I heard some rationalization. And I realized she's a very smart lady, you know. And I think, so I've become convinced that with her, it's more about fame. It's more about following. It's more about fundraising. And I think that's a big, uh, as much of a problem as anything, is people have seen that you can become instantly famous by tweeting and saying absolutely crazy stuff. And you can raise a ton of money and make this job easier and be worshipped among, you know, your constituents or base for that. And uh, But there are some, there are a few that I think truly buy into some of this crazy stuff. But I think the vast majority, you look at the ones that are particularly, you know, Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene, maybe Jim Jordan, that just to them, it's either the end justifies the means and it's, you know, win at all costs or it's just, hey – I could be. I mean, look, nobody would know who Marjorie Taylor Greene was uh, except for the fact that she tweeted a whole bunch of crazy stuff, and now she's way more famous than probably most politicians. I think that's what she wants.
0: Right. Well, and it goes to the problem of the entire system that we're all working through here: the social media, the internet. You know, Trump was the, you know, the great fusion of the entertainment and political. Complexes, you know. I mean, he's is he a politician? Is he an entertainer? Is he just a guy who's out to make money? We never kind of knew. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's created all these little mini Trumps. That's right. And um, so next week, uh, there's a lot of senators who are going to have in the Republican Party who are going to have a choice to make. And I wonder how much what's happened this week. Is going to recalibrate their own calculations about how they vote, or give them cover to not vote for impeachment? How do you how do you see what's happened this week, kind of informing what we might see next week?
2: I, yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, I think uh, you know, Mitch McConnell coming out against Marjorie Taylor Greene was great. I think you know, obviously this vote was huge. Uh, you know, on on Liz Cheney. But I just don't know. I think part of it's going to be is is Trump's defense crazy? You know, do they try to put up a good fight and say he didn't have time for you know you can't prove he did this or he didn't have time for whatever? Um, It'll be interesting to see. But I do think when you start to see polling that says you know twenty percent less Republican support for Donald Trump running again than there was even a few weeks ago it's starting to show what I had been suspecting from the very beginning and still predict, which is within about six months, I think Donald Trump will, you know, potentially be a pariah in the Republican party or at least uh, a 50% support figure instead of, you know, 70 or 80, because people move on. He doesn't have Twitter. He's not blinding people. Saturday morning fog. And I think folks are going to wake up to, this is not the future of you, you can love him and never have to disown him, but, I think you can look at this rationally and say the party of Trump is not the party that's going to be in the majority in the future.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the choice that these senators have is if you ban Trump from future running for future office, that goes a long way towards determining the direction of the party. Don't you agree?
2: It does. It does. And it, it takes them out. You know, I'll I'll tell you a quick story. I had a very revealing moment. I was in uh, Vegas uh, shortly after the election. And somebody had said to me, I mean, somebody had recognized me just in Vegas, I was there for military and not the party. And, uh, and so the, uh, somebody had said to me, recognized me. She came up, she and her husband, uh, we know you, et cetera. Cool. And she said, well, you know, what do you think about this election? You know, it was stolen and I pushed back and I go, no, you know, Donald Trump, he lost, he's out. And she goes, oh, that's depressing. Well, you know, at least he's, he's going to run again in 2024. And I go, no, I hate to tell you, he's not going to run again in 2024. The guy's just, he's not going to. she goes, wow, well, that's terrible for the party. At least Don Jr. will run then. And it was really revealing to me, which is there are people that have, because of, for whatever reason, have equated Donald Trump with Republicanism, and they see Donald Trump as the only way Republicanism can survive. Well, he's done that. Well, the reality is we've got to show an alternative vision. That was part of like when I launched this country first dot com, which is like saying, look, this is a country first party, not a Donald Trump first party. We can be successful together and we're going to go forward and be successful together. And that's what that's all about.
0: I just have to question, what does the Republican Party even represent anymore? Yeah. You know, I mean, Trump to me was always like kind of like a a pastiche of different emotions and less like a set of policy ideas. Right. And, uh, you know, you have very definitive conservative ideas. I take it you're anti-abortion. You're against the, you voted against the Equality Act. Um, you're against legalization of marijuana. Um, do you believe in climate change?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and by the way, I am for gay marriage and, uh Um, I'm on the legalization issue. I'm probably in the middle on that.
0: So, right. Well, I just, you know, when we come out the other side of this and I've always wondered, maybe you can tell me like people who voted for Trump, do you think they were voting largely on conservative principles or what, what was the, what policies and ideas do you think he best represented? Because to me, it seems like anti-immigration, you know, this is the critique from the left, and you can respond to this, but that largely uh, that there was a undercurrent of racism, white working class resistance to diversity.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's totally inaccurate. I think it was. It's turned into a battle. Look, I mean, I think we have to. If somebody's on the left, they need to look in the mirror and say, you know, to an extent, the left has been pushing. Um, You know, a lot of the times kind of a narrative that I think has disaffected uh, the working class. It's kind of this Mm -hmm. um, narrative from the East and West Coast elites and and they felt disaffected. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. the same kind of difficulties that hit the inner city are the difficulties hitting the rural town. Right. Loss of jobs. There's drug use. There's families that fall apart. It's the same kind of issues. And frankly, I think they take the same prescriptions. But. And they felt disaffected. Donald Trump came along, and it wasn't really about conservative policies. I think it was about own the left and push back against the left and attack the left. And that felt good. If you feel like you've been left behind, that felt good. The problem is we've lost what it means to be a conservative. And, uh, you know, for me, there's a lot of issues I'm fairly moderate in. Um, Economically, I'm fairly conservative. but. We can go down the litany of issues, and the reality is what I believe is that a kid born in the inner city should have the same opportunity as a kid born in the richest suburb. That's what makes me a conservative, and the policies to get there, you know, those will change over time. Those will change with the day, and frankly, those will change by people's perception, but that's what we need to get back to, and, and, uh, and that's going to be that long-haul battle.
0: This is Inside the Hive. So you started a, um, a pack called Country First. Mm-hmm. So what are you trying to achieve here? You're trying to basically draw a line in the sand and create some political energy around kind of directing the party away from Trump. Is that more or less what you're doing?
2: Yeah. So it's uh, there's a pack associated with it. I didn't create this for the pack. I didn't create it to raise money. Basically, I just did a video that. Uh, I wanted to just, I'll call it kind of my manifesto, like my way to say, look, here's the great past of the party, freeing the slaves, women's suffrage, things like that. And here's where we've been in the last few years. I mean, we had an insurrection, you know, a dead police officer took their own lives. And, uh, and here's where we need to go. So I really just created it as a video that just says what I was thinking, and then a place for people to land, to come and leave your email, let's, let's figure out where this goes. Man, the response has been incredible. And I would encourage people to go to countryfirst.com. It's with a one ST because watch the video and because the response has been incredible from Republicans, from some Democrats that say we just need a healthy party and from people that have left the party or considering leaving the Republican Party. And uh, so we're we're taking this day by day and figuring out where to go with this as it grows. And I think my intention, my hope is that it leads to a serious movement to fight for the future of the Republican Party. And one that people can, whether you disagree with the policies or not, you can respect on the political scene.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, in in I think the Washington Post uh, did a story about this pack and um quoted Joe Walsh, you know, the never Trumper Republican of Illinois. And he I just want to read this really quickly. Um, if there was any political calculation, and he's talking about yours. It's to be one of the leaders of the anti-Trump wing of the Republican Party. And he said, and I give him credit for that. I just don't think they have a prayer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's no calculation. I certainly don't want to be the leader of anything. I just, uh, I think, you know, if you look at what's happened with Donald Trump over time and how he changed people's views, we have to have something to counter that to bring people back. That's the only hope. And I think it's going to work. Quite honestly, the response has been amazing.
0: Do you think that, based on what you know and the people you talk to in Congress, that McConnell has any intention of whipping the votes together to make impeachment happen next
2: week? I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does. You know, does he come out and say, you know, I'm going to vote to remove. Keep in mind, he just got reelected. He's probably not going to run again. And now he's thinking about legacy. You know, I, I he's held his cards close to his vest. I think that gives... What he does will be very telling. And it's one of those kind of a day by day, we'll figure out the future of this party by how it goes day by day. And, uh, you know, I think if we talk again in a week, it'll be a lot different.
0: Let's pan back a little bit and think about history. We've been living in it, and we're living day to day and week to week in it. And we don't know how it'll look in the rear view, but we can guess. This has been a massive event, a rupture in our history, of, likes of which none of us have, I, you know, seen in our lifetime. You and I are, you know, more or less like Gen X age. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just in uncharted territory. And I think about the long-term legacy of people like Jim Jordan, uh, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, who probably will not face any consequence as a result of fanning the election fraud thing and voting against certification as over a hundred people did in Congress. How do you think these people are going to look in the, in the larger scheme of history?
2: I just think the next few days or the next few months will be telling, I think, you know, whether or not they get punished, I think is secondary to, are they going to be a player anymore? And I don't think so. I think they've done a lot to damage themselves. And I think, you know, uh, they, they probably, you know, the maybe senators, but maybe, Uh, not leaders of of the party, uh, thought leaders, that is. I mean, keep in mind, the Republican brand was really damaged after Richard Nixon. And four years later, we got Ronald Reagan and the Republican brand was reborn. So it's not unthinkable. And history points to the fact that the Republican Party can come back strong, but it's not going to come back strong with the same people.
0: Well, that is a uh, that's a bold prediction. Uh It's an optimistic one, frankly. And, uh, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And we're going to find out next week uh, which way the political winds are blowing, or maybe not next week. could take a while for this trial Mm -hmm. to unfold. But thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And just one little factoid I want to point out to listeners is that you went to um, a high school called Normal Community High School. So you represent uh what we hope is uh, going to be the normal community going forward um have a great day and uh good luck
2: you bet. thanks good talking to you
0: and that's our episode this week i'd like to thank our guest congressman adam kinziger and i'd like to thank our co-host emily jane fox if you liked this episode of inside the hive please subscribe go to apple or radio.com or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe I'd like to thank our new executive producer, Brett Fuchs, and our production team at Cadence 13. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast, and we'll see you next week.